But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Luke chapter 20, verse 35 and 36. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me grace by your Holy Spirit to bring forth your word truly and in a way that is useful and edifying to your holy people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, It's sort of a strange encounter that the Lord has with uh, recorded in this morning's gospel, right? So one of the contentions among Jews of Jesus' day based on the light that was shone in the Old Testament, they weren't 100% sure if there was going to be a resurrection from the dead. There was a group of Jews who thought that there was, the Pharisees, and there was a group who thought that there wasn't, the Sadducees. Um, I remember having an old professor who said, that's why they were sad, you see. I very rarely tell bad jokes or any jokes from the pulpit, but there you go. Um, uh, So the Sadducees you know, recognizing that Jesus has great authorities as a teacher, right? We're, we're deep into the gospel at this point. He's, he's brought many crowds to awe. We've had multiple times that, like, where he sort of silenced these kind of false investigators. And so they're kind of saying, like, well, how, how do you weigh, on, weigh in on this popular teacher? Um, you know, obviously Jesus is far more than that, but that's how they saw him. Um, and they come at him with what they think is this sort of gotcha zinger. And it's really kind of lame. But what they're saying is, because, you know, Jews, like us, receiving the, all of the Old Testament scriptures, understood that um, marriage is, you can only be married to one person, right? A father, and a man leaves his father and mother, and they come together, one flesh. And so the way they're trying to sort of say, trying to claim that there's not a resurrection, well, is, well, if someone dies, and of course, under the Old Covenant, if you die without children, it's the duty of the brother to marry the widow, um, and bring forth children, like to kind of continue the family line in the, in the name of that brother. It was called Leverett marriage, old covenant thing. But they were saying like, look, that happened seven times and they're sort of um, implied premises. So are you saying that one woman is going to be married to seven different men? Like there's polygamy in heaven? It's kind of this, it's a bit crass, right? Um, and so Jesus, as so often when challenged, he answers them by just sort of blowing their question out of the water. And it's like, you know, Jesus doesn't say this, but there's almost this air of like, you dummies. <laughs> in heaven, you're talking about marriage in heaven. You are really failing to understand the grandeur and the glory of heaven. Right? The, the answer, Jesus doesn't answer them at the level that they're, they're looking for. He says, in heaven, there isn't even going to be marriage or giving in marriage. Right? Those are two verbs, two sides of the same coin, right? Because in the old world, a man married, but a woman was given in marriage. That was, you know, we traces of that still in our marriage, right? So Jesus is saying, you don't get heaven at all. The resurrection, the glory of resurrection, of eternity with God, you're asking like completely too small a question. Um, marriage is transformed. So to sort of um, dig into this a little bit, I think the thing that kind of makes this teaching um, come into relief is to look under the hood of what is marriage? Like, what is marriage for? 
Um, and actually, um, I invite you to grab your prayer book, your red prayer book, um, and turn. We're looking at all kinds of new pages in the prayer book today, beginning at 161. And um, look at page 201. Page 201. The famous um, introduction to marriage, it's always in movies, right? Dearly beloved, we've gathered here today. And here it is, we've gathered together, here it is. But we have the reasons that marriage exists according to the scriptures laid out for us um, in priority order. Um, second paragraph. Almighty God established the bond and covenant of marriage in creation, right? Adam and Eve, right? Marriage has existed from the beginning as a sign of the mystical union between Christ and his church. Um, and then third paragraph. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind was ordained by God. Yep. And then here's the three reasons why. For, these are purposive clauses, for the pro- procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord, for mutual joy and for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and to maintain purity so that husbands and wives with all the household of God might serve as holy and undefiled members of the body of Christ. So three reasons. Um, kids and a safe home for kids to be raised in. Um, union and mutual support. And then the rightful avenue for a sexual desire, right? So to be, that it be used purely. So, and those three, that is the order um, the scriptures give emphasis to. So when we think about those things, babies, uh, mutual support, and um, sort of a curb for impurity. In heaven, you don't need any of those things, right? We have children to replace us when we die, right? Children are a way of continuing, you know, mankind. But if we live forever and there's no death, there's no need for like replacing the dead. And so you don't, there won't be babies in heaven. There'll be no more new souls created um, after the great judgment day. So there's no need for the first. And then for unity and comfort, we will be comforted in relationship face to face with God himself. And we will have perfect unity with every other ransomed soul and glorious angel worshiping God forever. We'll have unity in heaven with every the whole church and then of course we um augustine has this great formulation um you know in in this life it's not possible not to sin right first john if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves but in heaven it's not possible to sin we'll finally have every broken and crooked bits of our bodies and minds and hearts healed so we won't even be able to sin because it's not like if we wanted to we won't want to because our will will be fully purified so the three reasons for marriage we see in the resurrection they're all gone right so if the reasons for marriage are gone you don't have marriage in heaven there aren't going to be wedding ceremonies um we won't need marriage anymore because the goods of marriage which to be clear are some of earth's highest goods right the 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 sweet comfort and support of uh, mutually supportive and respectful marriage. It's one of the greatest gifts in this life. But the joy of heaven will blow even that out of the water. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Like, yes, it's, I mean, think about the way in which Jewish culture especially celebrates marriage. But even the highest earthly good that you know, heaven supersedes that and overwrites it um, by the order of magnitude of which God himself is higher than us who are created. So marriage, therefore, in this life, with relation to the next, is a signpost 
a pointer of the good things to come. In heaven, we are told then um, that there'll be no more death. This is a timely gospel after we just had all saints service and we remember those who died this last year. There'll be no more death. And we're told that we will be made like the angels. We don't turn into angels. Human nature is and always will be fundamentally different than angelic nature. But we'll be like the angels in their radiance, in their singleness of focus, and in their purity. Indeed, we are called in the scripture that we just heard, sons of God. Sons of God. And it's parallelized with our sons of the resurrection. And this brings us to what we're celebrating today, the glorious cries of an infant, our baptism. Baptism. Baptism is the moment in which we get adopted as sons of God. God has one natural son, right? If, if God had biology, we'd say biological son, right? One natural son, God the son, who took on flesh, and we know him now as Jesus Christ since the incarnation. He has one natural son, but he has multitudes, Revelation says, more than can be numbered, adopted children, sons and daughters. We, the male pronoun is there because we are in Christ, who is a man. But sons and daughters, we are adopted children into the family of God, and the, the moment of adoption is the moment of baptism. That's when the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. That's when we are washed clean, and therefore able to be in God's presence, counted as his own family members. By nature, by nature, we are enemies of God. And we take this on faith because the scripture says so. When you look at sweet little Isla and Asher and Rowan, um, you know, there's an innocency and a glory and a sweetness to childhood where it doesn't appear that we're enemies of God, right? Babies are cute. But we see what is deep within the soul, even of a baby, as we grow up is the inclination to sin. Carrie actually had an insight one time that stuck with me forever, which is that, you know, as we think of kind of the maturational phases of childhood and psychological development, it's like every tool that you hand to a growing child, one of their first inclinations is to use it for evil. Oh, I can speak. Oh, I can lie. Right? Oh, I can move my fist. Oh, I can hit. Right? Everything we do, we have to learn from Christ the right way to use these tools that he gives us through maturity. Baptism, then, is what fundamentally changes our nature. The moment we pour the water over the head of Rowan, Isla, and Asher, and we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they get transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of light. They become adopted children of God. And not only at some legal level, the same way like a judge, you know, appoints, like, okay, now you are the legal parents. It is that. But it's also even more, it's the beginning of actually being transformed into the thing you're declared to be. So in the moment of baptism, you are declared to be holy and pure and a son of the resurrection and the hope of eternal life. And through the course of our Christian life, as we grow up in faith and we collaborate with the operation of God, the Holy Spirit, and his sanctifying work, and we yield to him with faith and we keep growing, we actually become purer and holier. And yes, sadly and shamefully, we still are adding sins that are offending God. And, and that's why we, we pray confession, every liturgy that we gather here in church to pray. But over the course of a lifetime, through, our, through faith, God actually transforms us to become the very thing we are made 
ultimately in baptism. Sons of the resurrection. Eternal beings. And so um, Brian and, and Felicia have stepped out, but through baptism, even the role of parenting changes, that y'all are no longer merely, which I say merely because it's huge, but just feeding and raising and hoping that, you know, your ch- children have good relational attachments and, you know, all the good natural virtues. You're actually shepherding the souls of fellow immortals who you will live with, God willing, forever. And it adds a layer of Christian discipleship to natural parenting as well. Um, we will, in fact, be made, in the words of First Peter, partakers of the divine nature. I went completely off script there for my sermon, so the rest of the final bit doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, let me just say, I hope that in witnessing these baptisms today, all of you who have been baptized will be recalled and refreshed about the gift that you were given in your baptism. That regardless of how you feel this morning, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And that your life, day by day, depends on the degree to which you are or are not responding to his workings with faith. And that, with the great promise of Scripture is, he who began a good work in you, obviously God, right, will bring it to completion. But the life of our Christian life, it begins at baptism, and then... You know, I wish that every one of our lives was just this rocket trajectory up to heaven through the course of a 90-year life. But uh, in my story, I know that I came to faith in Christ, was baptized. Um, and then in college, uh, for a couple years after college, I, I thought I was too smart for Christianity, so kind of stopped caring about it. Um, and then, but then the Lord in his mercy reminded me of the, his rally and then brought it back. And then through an, a dozen, I should say, like, by specific numbers, thousands of specific like sin struggles, the life of sanctification has not been a rocket shoot. It's been one of these, falling into sin and despair and unbelief, and then coming back to confession and faith. And, but the net trajectory of a life towards God is we see his hand guiding us to himself, all because he, with all of his might, is seeking to be good to his promise that he gives us in holy baptism. All glory to him. Amen.